before we jump into our conversation, we wanted to remind you all about some very exciting news about the Austin Film Festival this year. In addition to being there in person and doing our live story panel, in addition to some other panels, we're going to be throwing a party, a TSL party in partnership with Final Draft. And we are really excited to have our partners in Final Draft. I mean, not other than it, you know, it is the industry standard. You all need to know it. Um, but they're just such a great, great company to work with. And the party is going to be on Saturday, October 28th, right after our story workshop at Stephen F's Bar and Terrace. So come and meet us and maybe even get some swag. Oh, some swag, some TSL yes. swag, some yes. final draft swag. Yes. I would like some final draft swag. Um, <laughs> come, come, you guys. Okay, let's get into it. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFoe. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. And today we are at Stevens College and we're doing a live podcast where we're going to do a story workshop. So the first person up who's going to do it with us is Rex Obana. So Rex, this is where you tell us your story and we're going to ask you questions. I just have to correct you. Um, oh, how do you pronounce your name? Obano. Obano, what I yes. say? You said the, president, the former president of the United States. Obama? <laughs> Did I say Obama? Well, kind of, yeah. yeah. Obama. Oh, I said Obama. Yes, Obama. Rex, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yes, so um, the, uh, the television drama um, is about uh, a missing persons unit, and uh, there are two cops. You say cops over here, we say policemen, but, you know, okay. we're in Rome. Um, and uh, uh, the first policeman is uh, Sally, Sally Mounty. She has given her best years to the police force, um, and uh, she's good at finding missing persons. Very, very good. Um, the saying is, um, Mounty gets her man. Hi. <laughs> yeah, so um, uh, the, thing is, the thing is, because she's given her best life to the police force, she hasn't had a child. She hasn't managed to have a child, and that's what she wants. And uh, so she's going through IVF. We call it IVF, you call yeah, it over uh -huh. here. Um, and the series, in a sense, as she's looking for the missing children, she is trying to search, find her own. Um, and it's tearing her apart because it's not going very well. Um, so she's kind of torn between uh, her kind of allegiances to other mothers and parents and her desire to be one. Um, the other cop is, well, is so new, I, I can call him Tyrone. <laughs> he hasn't got a surname uh, or any kind of moniker. And uh, he is going through, he's another cop and he's very, very good again at searching for missing children or missing people. Um, but his children, he has three, have been taken away in a bitter custody battle. So then again, with him, he is trying to, his allegiance of searching for other people's children and then kind of having a battle for his own. And these two cops have given, have given their life to searching for the children, and, but they are being torn apart inside. So every week there's a story of the week, there's a missing child, there's a missing person. I haven't gone through you know, the, uh, the story of the week element in it, but it is, it is about these two people and uh, it's about... Um, my, my brother, my brother's son was taken into care when I was, when he was six to about 16. And uh, I saw my brother kind of disintegrate mentally um, with that trauma, court cases, uh, social services as we call them. And uh, so this is kind of in a sense my way of mm. homaging that period in my family's life. Um, and that's what I've got so far, literally. These are the notes. It's wonderful. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. 
you know, it's so powerful, and I know we're not supposed to be talking about how to pitch, but I can't help it. It's so powerful <clears throat> to hear the personal, and uh, you know, why you, that question, why are you the person to write this? Um, can you see how it all comes alive uh, when people talk with their personal connection to a story? I thought that was very powerful. Um, and uh, told very well, mm -hmm. considering you came up with it in the cab. Yes. I have to say, <laughs> yes. you're a great storyteller. Um, and I'm very interested in it. I have some questions, but I want to yes. let you say what you liked first. I agree too, because I'm like, well, does he have kids? What's happening? And then when you tell the story about your brother and the pain you saw, the pain you had around it too, it did really bring it together. And it was like, oh yes, this is a story you can tell with your lava, right? Um, yeah, I have questions too. My, my first question though is, and you might not know this, right? Because you just came up with it, but the what is the conflict between those two main characters? Because they're on a similar journey, right? Both are sort of looking, to, one to find her own child and one to get his children back. So what's the conflict? Are they partners? Yes, they are partners. They work in the same uh, missing person. So what's, how are, they, how are they grinding together? Like, why am I gonna watch this show in terms of the characters, right? When you think of a show like SVU, it's how those characters are navigating and negotiating the, the relationship to the crime, but also uh, to each other. Okay. I don't know that. <laughs> um, yeah, something, it's something that I was thinking, I was working on another show and something thinking about, in a sense, what, what the conflict is between them, but not great enough that you, they're arguing all the time. Yes, they're fighting right. All the time. No, I don't want that. It might yeah. be a difference of, of approach. It might be, it, it, it might, I, I, don't want to have a love interest between them. I don't want to have any that they're married or related, but mm. there's got to be something. It might be that one is old and one is young. I'm not 100% sure. It might be, it might be that, but um, yeah. Yeah, approach, like it could be, you know, is it Scully and... Mulder. Right? Yeah. They just have different views of the yeah. world, so their beliefs are so different. Mm. Even though they have the same goal, those beliefs will keep uh, banging. Or I was thinking, you know, let's just talk about like one could be ready to retire, yeah. lethal weapon, one's ready to retire, and one is young and foolhardy and constantly putting them in danger. I'm too old for this. I'm too old for this, right? You know, I'm just thinking about the archetypes of pairs, right? Um, uh, but of course, but they're cops, so they're each, you know, actors love to play skills. Right, so they might have different skills that are complementary, but also clash, right? Because in order to do his thing, he mm -hmm. has to be improved all right. the time, and she wants to go by the book. Like, Can one I, be psychic? One could be psychic. Yeah. I think that, that was a TV show, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But you can see when you think about the TV shows with cops, why they're doing that is to start to give um, the relationship narrative drive. I like right? Cagney and Lacey. I do like that. That's another balance, one. Mm -hmm. You know, where um, um, I'm not sure which one it was. I think it was. Cagney, she could never settle down, whereas uh, Lacey um, uh, had Harve, and there were just, uh, you know, she had that family dynamic going, and you had the clash between both of them, so yeah. Um, because we want it, we know at the end of the day, I mean, not so much anymore, but it used to be um, that they're going to get their man, yeah. right? So it's the how they get yeah. them, and the how is very much about the emotional relationship between yeah. the two of them. And it's great what you're doing, that your brain is thinking of other um, Cagney and Lacey, like when I create, I always try to think of, you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I don't copy, but it's kind of like, a, you know, painters would first, in the Renaissance, would first study the masters. And then they would go and find copy. their own voice. <laughs> <I'd copy. laughs> you see that in the museums, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then they would find their own voice yeah. once they got their skill set down. So sometimes if I'm given, like I'm right now writing a horror movie and 
I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to watch a million horror movies, mm. right? And figure out the math that other people have done. I can break it, but I have to know I'm breaking it. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, so I guess my other question other than the relationship, which is also, <coughs> often why you really tune in, because you love them together, right? Yeah. Um, is the world. So is the world of the show going to be mostly the investigation? Are we also going to be going home with them? Uh, yes, I think I think with with Sally, it's the home is quite alone and stark. You know, she's a single person. She work her 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 life is her work or has been. Um, uh, and also, I think with Tyrone, the same thing as well. I mean, I'm not sure. Sometimes when my I've got a ten year old daughter, and when she, I think when she goes away on camp or something, uh, the house is very different. Mm, it, it feels very different. Um, and I think. The office, the, the precinct, is alive with people. Um, and they go to homes which are alive with people to a certain degree. But theirs is quite stark. But I do want, I think you said something about tone earlier. Mm -hmm, sure. Yeah, tone. Um, and I do want it to be kind of hopeful. Um, I don't want it to be kind of, you know, uh, kind of, I would say torture porn, but right. just kind of, you know, down every week. I do want, yeah. maybe if they're not found, they don't always have to be found, but they do find something right. um, uh, to a certain degree. So I do want it kind of be hopeful and up. I mean, I think um, series is like The Practice. I like The Practice, the law series a couple of years ago. Um, younger people might not remember it, but yes, um, which was, in a sense, very, very hopeful at the end, but not, in a sense, like Ali McBeal hopeful, mm -hmm. in right. a sense, mm -hmm. which was kind of, you know, a pastiche. But yeah, just very hopeful. So it's yeah, because really... if I'm an executive, I'm going to think, wow, that's all a bummer. Yeah. Like, mm. missing kids, yeah. you lost your kids, you can't get pregnant. Yeah. Like, what's fun yeah. here? Tell me what's fun yeah. here, right? So in terms of just thinking of the show, and I know you're just starting, so yeah. this is, I'm just thinking, I'm just throwing out ideas. Like, do, maybe, do you need to code one of them up? So she seems to have a great life. Yeah. She doesn't want kids. She's perfectly happy. Mm. Doing, she's, she's like this fun character, you can't wait to see her, yeah. but she does, is have a secret. Yes. Which is, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying you're not saying this, yeah. I'm just trying to say, mm. I want to go see her have fun mm. and have a great life, and she doesn't need to have a husband, she's mm. perfectly happy not having a husband, um, you know, or, you know, I don't know, that, this is a personal thing that, a, just, this is a personal thing, so take it or leave it. Yeah, what I was looking for is a single woman, great life, secretly she's doing IVF and that there's a waiting and a hope and a loss in that. Mm -hmm. You know, fertility stuff is really yeah. hard and you keep it secret a lot of the times mm -hmm. because there's shame in it, Yeah. right? But it's a secret thing. So out, out here you're like, oh no, I'm fine, I'm great. But then there's this bucket of hope and grief and loss at home. And I kind of wanted him to be, this is my take, because, and it's easy for me to do this because you're still... Um, uh, forming the idea. So take this as just like what my, my point of view as somebody who went through fertility, as somebody whose life changed unexpectedly with a kid, like that, that the he would have a family and it would seem happy and fine and he's, but that under it is this, that there's something really uh, like a divorce or he, she's trying to take the kids and he's struggling to hold on to it in that same way. And so that, that there is a, because when you have kids, let's be honest, there is that point of, would I do this again? I love my daughter. She absolutely <laughs> should be in the world. But there is grief around having kids because your old life is gone. And just that, so not that it's about 
being a parent, but it feels like there's a big piece of this and it's such a identity changing thing so that it's not all, um, not all sadness, but you do get different windows into what it looks like and losing kids, losing the hope for kids, you know, all that kind of, it goes to theme, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, uh, again, this is just more my personal thing. Uh, women always have to want a kid. Mm -hmm. So I'm just, want to throw that out there for something you to consider as a female right. character. Um, I'd be interested in a woman who is perfectly happy not having kids mm -hmm. and that she is mothering all these lost girls mm -hmm. and boys, those are her children, right? Um, and yet there's still a question of she's alone, yeah. right? That she, that there's a, there's a sense then that she's protecting herself from actually true emotional intimacy, mm -hmm. which then could come into the partnership. So it's just kind of digging in, which I'm sure you will. You thought about it two seconds ago. Um, you know, and three, dig three seconds, three seconds ago. Um, just digging into those layers of the characters, which you will. Um, and thematically is, and again, it's new. Do you have any sense of thematically what you want the show to be, you know, kind of, running on? Is it, is it, I don't think it's parenting necessarily. Um, is there any word that comes to mind? The only word specifically is loss. Um, right. However that means to each character. Right. Um, and how that is manifested through, through action and through need and through desire. Um, loss yeah, is a great word and yeah. what's great about it is their job is to refuse that loss. Mm. Their job is to fix that loss, regain, mm. right? Yeah. And uh, how are they doing that in their own personal lives or not, right? Are they getting overwhelmed by it or not? Um, so I think that's, that would be powerful mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. That would be powerful okay. stuff. But then, it, then in loss too, there's the, if like the parents, you're showing that like everybody deals with that differently, mm -hmm. right? Some people look guilty because yeah. they've shut it down. And then you can have the hope part you know, where everybody, if they, when they find the lost little boy, yeah. everybody has that sense of hope, but then yeah. there's the next one. Yeah. And yeah. what's great about your show, too, in, in terms of usually people pitch TV shows, we spend most of our time talking about the engine, mm -hmm. but because it's one. a procedural, they just immediately have an engine. Yeah. So yeah. you don't have to uh, worry about that. There has to be an engine to the relationships. Yes. Right, which is why they're going to pitch to you. Can they be in love? Yeah. Because that's an easy engine yeah. like that. So if you're right? very clear up front, no. no. <laughs> I mean, in terms of this is their relationships, yeah. this is their belief system, their point of view. Then, and how know. they're helping each other through loss <clears throat> and is, is what's evolving in the relationship, the emotional intimacy of being honest with each other about stuff versus, you know, not. Yeah. Right? So that something is evolving. I mean, that's really interesting because, you know, how honest are they being to each other? Right. When they have to be honest as they're working together to solve the case. How honest are they be, be or the case is, how honest are they being as people as well as how honest are they, are they being as policemen? Because, you know. Right, because they're, the whole first season could be about them starting to be honest with each other yeah. and forming a relationship mm -hmm. so that um, I'm loving watching them come together and oh, I know she didn't tell her that. Yeah. Oh boy, mm -hmm. you know, but she didn't tell him that, mm -hmm. you know, and so that you're watching them. And then the second season, because they will, you know, want to know, yeah. then this, if they've come together and we love them as a team, then the second season, what's happening to that team, yeah. right? And 
in the third season what's happening to that team and you have to have at least three yeah. seasons okay. to tell me about the relationship and mm -hmm. how it's moving and listen procedurals people want to tune in to see what they want to see they want to see the same thing over and over right, yeah. so there is a network version of the show where they're really not changing mm -hmm. and that they are exactly the two people mm -hmm. that they are yeah. every week I because I come from features tend to like the shows that mm -hmm. evolve e over the course of the season so you know that's a choice that you need to make right away is this a network show that is a procedural, and what I'm tuning in for is that this team will always be yeah. this team, mm -hmm. and I know how she's gonna react, and I know how he's gonna react, and it's juicy, and I love it, like Cagney and Lacey. Yeah. Um, even though there's some evolution, of course, mm -hmm. but really, Cagney's Cagney and Lacey's Lacey, and forever that will be yeah. what it is. Um, or is it more of a streamer, where you're giving them a procedural, which they would love, by the way, mm -hmm. um, but there's a, this evolving, storylines over the season arcs too and then you pitch them at least three right and for the networks they want you know 100 episodes so that's why it can always be the same and it can be interchangeable and all that stuff that was talked about in the other keynote and for the pilot it's important to start in the action right like i'm going to read your pilot i want to know that it's a procedural right uh, we could spend a lot of time with exposition and introductions and but i want to see that exposition in how they're solving the case yeah, and yeah. the things they're telling each other and not telling each other and then little, oh wait you know like nurse jackie remember nurse jackie the pilot for nurse jackie i think i was a bit too young for that but <laughs> it just came out <laughs> how dare you <laughs> That sounded funny in my head to be here. <laughs> it was funny. I thought it was hysterical. Hagney and Lacey want to talk about chips or a petticoat junction or something. Good grief. Nurse Jackie came out like last year. <clears throat> Fine, we're not going to talk petticoat. about it. Keep going. Petticoat junction. Oh that is my a, gosh. You know petticoat junction, then let's talk about high school. <laughs> you did awesome. Thank yeah. you so much for being our Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to pick the next one? Uh, oh, thank, thank you. you. Good luck. Awesome. Hey, everyone. So the new version of Final Draft, Final Draft 13, is out. And, you know, the question's going around. Is it worth it? Is it worth it to buy or upgrade? And our answer is yes. So I recently got notes on a pilot, and I want to see how it works in my rewrite to move a couple of scenes. And usually what I do is, you know, cut and paste, uh, which works out sometimes. But mostly it means I lose text because I move so quickly. But the new version of Final Draft has this cool feature called Navigator 2.0, where you can actually just move scenes around right in your script. So without losing something, I can see what's working, what I'm missing, or what needs to be rewritten, or you know, if I have to lose the scene altogether. But it's really, really helpful. And what's most important to me about this is that I'm not losing anything. Woohoo! Yes. I am laying out a new project, and I want to card it. And I can now do that inside of Final Draft, and it's now a super easy way. You can take those cards and then make them into an outline with a simple drag and drop. So it's just a great way to see the larger story that you're writing and get down the details, track characters. I just love it. And for our emerging writers, a great new feature is Final Draft lets you set writing goals like page count or timed writing sprints, which is super cool. So uh, we think the new version is really worth uh, investing in. So you can head over to finaldraft.com slash products to get the new version with a discount code of ScreenFD for 25% off. You should check it out. That's ScreenFD. S-C-R-E-E-N-F-D. 
No, no, you pick. You're the picker. All right, you guys. Who's sending me the strongest vibes? Chris Brown? <laughs> He's shaking his head. <laughs> Did I pronounce that one right? You guys are not exactly have the best penmanship. This is a note to everyone. Does that say brown? It's like. It does kind of say brown. Yeah, unfortunately it says brown. <laughs> Hi, Chris. Good morning. Hi, Good welcome. Morning. Yeah, hello. Uh, yeah, hello. <laughs> I know, you're a bit on the spot. It's yeah. all good. Take yeah, a breath. Yeah. Feel your feet. Do that too. Okay. So, okay. So um, the project I'm working on currently um, is a f feature film. It's called Kindred at the moment. Um, working title. So um, it's actually uh, very Pixar-ish, uh, inspired by a certain uh, movie about feelings uh, <laughs> that I love. Is it uh, an animated movie or it no? It is an animated, animated movie. Okay, yes, animated movie, okay. Yep. Kindred. Um, Got it. Kindred. Um, you basically start in, in uh, the world, uh, human world. Um, this character named Zora, she's a photojournalist. She is trying to get this uh, picture of the shady deal going on, and you realize um, you kind of move into this other world, and you notice it's about um, this like kind of reckless dog spirit is um, kind of like navigating her or managing her uh, movements, what she does. It's, it's, it's pushing her to do certain things, and she's working with the teammate, this kind of jaded, um, Dog, this other uh, coyote, um, and she, they're not gelling at all. They're just not doing well. And um, come to find out, uh, these are like spirits, spirit animals, and they mine human interaction in order to sustain their world. Um, sustain the human world or sustain, the? Sustain their the, spirit world. Their spirit world, okay. Yes. Um, so, so like monsters kind of, ain't kind yeah, of. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a, a symbiotic relationship. So humans get, you know, uh, you get uh, the liveliness, you get the energy that you need to, to, to move on, to push, your, to push yourself, but you're also sustaining the astral world. And um, so they um, basically, a new, the coyote spirit quits because another spirit can't work with Kendra. She, uh, her, oh, dog, dog spirit, her name is Kendra Barkley. Um, <laughs> uh, Kendra Barkley, she, uh, she's, going through a few partners at this point, and this is her last chance, uh, basically. She gets paired up. Usually they work with animals kind of near who they are, but she's kind of going through most of the dog spirits, so now she has to be forced to work with Gale, Headwind, and Eagle. And um, he is kind of rigid, kind of, uh, no, uh, Kendra's not really about the rules, she's more about guidelines, and, and Gale is more like, no, we're going to do this the right way. And they clash, but come to find out that, like, he's got a past that he's holding on to that keeps him from, you know, really being mm -hmm. himself. And Kendra's uh, dealing with Zora, and Zora's having a hard time. She's great at work, but her home life is kind of suffering because of it. And uh, so you see the interactions between these worlds and between Zora and Gail as they they get on the trail of kind of a conspiracy in her world that is kind of damaging the human world and the astral world. So reluctantly, Gail and Zora team up, or Gail and Kendra team up, 
in order to save both worlds. And can Zora, Zora doesn't know they're there, kind of like no Inside idea. Out, Riley yeah, doesn't know? no idea. <clears throat> the uh, spirit world really uh, pushes on the human world right. without the interaction, without anybody knowing about right, the, right, right. what's going on. Um, so does the main action, I mean, yeah, great job. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. So the main action is in the spirit world. So Correct. the main character is? Kendra. Miss Barkley. Yes, Miss Barkley. Kendra Barkley. And so we're going to see how their um, guidance of the human mm -hmm. sort of affects her and, and then um, as they're uncovering this. So, the, so act two is them on the journey of uncovering this uh, thing while also trying to help her yes. get through whatever she's trying to get through. Because Kendra wants, all Kendra wants is to pilot Zora by herself, like the old days. Each spirit animal was... Oh, so there's a paradigm shift here. You have yes. to have a partner now. You have to have a partner because in the old days, people were always thriving and connecting, and it was easier Listening for Listening to their, their spirit, guardian dogs. Since technology has arrived, people have gotten more complacent. It's harder to mine spirit energy from humans, so... Because they don't have anything anymore. Exactly. Okay. And spirit and <laughs> the Spirit Regulation Agency. Uh, we need a compliance. So it's. So is it like Monsters yeah. Inc. where they're getting they're getting energy for their world from humans? Yes. It's, it's and then very what do similar. they give back to humans? What do humans get that they humans need? Humans get that kind of alive presentness. Yeah. It's 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 called uh, well I call it inspiration. So right, okay. whenever the the fire when fire when man discovered fire. Right. So that it's was, like muses. They're yes. almost like muses. Yes, exactly. Okay. So I'd That's be on right. my phone scrolling, and I'd get an idea, and my guardian would say, hey, go write that idea down. But I'd be like, or I can just sit here and keep scrolling. Exactly. Okay. That would diminish And then, the and then if you do go write it down, what does the spirit world get? Is it a visual? Like, look what in Monsters, Inc., they made the canisters, right? So that it was very tactile. That was... There, okay, I will admit there are some similarities. That's okay. No, I, that's there, every it's story in the a, world. It's called yeah. a spirit meter, spirit energy, whatever right. it's called. That's but it's 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 made to. But it also sustains all of their world. It like gives them food. It gives them water. It, it sustains their entire right. world because uh, the thing that connects the human world and the spirit world is something called it's a giant uh, uh, structure called a tether and it connects the two worlds. Oh, okay. so the worst thing could happen is they would break the apart. The tether would break. Okay. So, and I'm assuming then in Act 2 that is the threat, that the tether is going to break. That is part of it, yes, but there is a... Okay, let, let me uh, get a little deeper into this because there's a lot of lore to this. Um, <laughs> Kendra, uh, they work for a company called Kindred. Uh -huh. uh, they mine spirit energy, and they're being taken over by kind of the Amazon of their world. There is a merger <laughs> called Spira, and uh, this beautiful butterfly man uh, is in charge of it. He's taking over the, uh, the you know, helping right. the world, and he's like, we're going to help the merger, and we're going to make Kindred better than ever, and we're going to save our world. And that's pretty much what it boils down to. But they're like, uh, Gale used to be a guardian. He used to be kind of a cop, and mm -hmm. something happened, and he was sent to Kindred to work there. So you kind of uncover some of their mm -hmm. past and stuff that's happening there, so. Okay, I'm gonna ask you a question. So, um, when I'm seeing this movie, imagine it. The movie is up at, you know, Hollywood, um, what's the, the big theater on Hollywood Boulevard? Yeah, it's at the El Cap, okay. packed audience, you've got the dancers, the whole thing is happening, right? The whole production. Okay. At the end of the movie, what do you want me to feel? Not to think, feel. I want you to feel connected because the, the, the theme of my film is connection. 
Like, to, in order for humanity to thrive, we need to be... Connected to what? Each other. To, you need to... Uh, uh, that's a, I, I see what you're saying here, but... So at the end of uh, Inside Out, mm -hmm. why we're so moved by it is because, oh, we're not even allowed to feel sad, we're mm -hmm. encouraged to feel sad. Yeah, Being sad is healthy. And this sort of unlocked in all of us this like, oh my God, I'm not bad or weak or some terrible pejorative thing for feeling sadness. It's healthy. So at the end of Monsters, Inc., right? Mm -hmm. So like, what do you want me to feel personally? How I, so connection is great, okay. but connected to what? Myself, my, my muse, giving myself permission. Not only uh, do I have permission yeah. to write it, I have uh, a responsibility, I have, like what it? Yes, um, I think it's, I can't remember which love it is. I, it's not a, it's not agape, I, I, it's one of the Greek ones. I think it's uh, for your, for man, mankind, humanity. It's that love um, in which in order for us to succeed, there's, we have to be connected. I don't know exactly how to. Like, People have to be connected or we have to be connected to the spirit world? No, yes, we have to be the, uh, the spirit world, but the thing that makes the spirit world go, what they in, in, like encourage is us to, you know, be our best, to thrive, to, to, to do that, to do what we can to get there. And I, I think part of that is so many people think like, like Elon Musk, he thinks, he believes that the only way to get forward is somebody has to be the smartest person and somebody has to build something for that. And it's like, that's not necessarily it. What we need to do is work together and make more farmland. We need to work together in order to make the So it's connection work. to each other. Yes. So we so, see the human character. Sorry, and then I'll let you go. Mm -hmm. I just keep interrupting Meg. She's being very gracious. So the human character, what is she going through? She's not connected, she's distant, and then at the end she becomes connected to the bigger world? Yes, but her, her journey is she's trying to uh, get, catch this shady deal so that this peace deal can go through, or uh, yes, this peace deal for the city so they could get a, a, a better, uh, I think it's a green deal is what I put in the story because I've already written a full draft. But what she's lost because Kendra's pushing her so hard is connecting with her family. She's getting divorced, she's losing her kid, and she forgot the reason she was doing all of this. She lost that connection to her family because she was going so hard to paint because Kendra couldn't see, was good for Kendra, yeah, is to be good at her job for her daughter, but what's more than that is she needs to be there for her daughter because that's why she was doing this in the first place. What is her action in the climax of the movie? The the main character, who is the kindred? Kindred, yeah. What's her action in the climax of the movie? In the climax of the movie, her action is uh, she she finally starts to begin to trust Gail, and they work together. Like, cause she's so trust. Of, she's so very. She's gonna she's gonna trust Gail, and they're gonna work together. Yes. What's her end of Act Two? Her end of Act Two. Um, what happens at the end of Act Two? At the end of Act Two, they. I'm, I, it's. Can't remember. It's okay. Um, um, I so know. just something to think about, um, and it's all really interesting. So okay. I, my brain is just uh, th these aren't comments or even mm -hmm. criticism. It's mm -hmm. like a, I'm trying to understand okay. to make sure because I haven't read a script, and Fair b, enough. just to um, because I've been where you are right now, which is a lot of stuff. And Pete Doctor <laughs> loves a lot of stuff, and you know, like the but part of the job, as you know, as you start to write drafts, is starting to pare it down and get really focused. And what do you need? And what is the story, right? Of all this beautiful stuff, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, so, 
the word connection is such a big word, true, right? True. Uh, and it's a great word, and especially if, I don't know what draft you're on, but if you're in early drafts, that's a great, you know, at Pixar or even at Disney Animation, you would just put the word on the wall. Okay. Because that everybody knows we're somewhere in the bucket of connection, right? <laughs> but it's not yet a theme yet because that's a big word. Right. What, uh, it's what you're saying about connection, mm -hmm. um, the how of it, gotcha. or, I mean, there's a million movies inside of connection. So sure. what I immediately go to is, okay, whatever she's doing at the, whatever she realizes at the end of act two mm -hmm. is your thematic. Okay. Okay. So whatever your main character kind of comes to realize about herself, mm -hmm. please make it about herself and not just about other people, especially if it's a female character. Right, right. She has to be the main character, which means she has to realize it about herself, the blindness, unless she's a claiming character and like mm -hmm. Moana, and we can talk about that. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like she needs to really learn to trust and become emotionally intimate so that she can have a partner. So she does sound like a transformative character. So whatever she realizes, about herself and therefore the world mm -hmm. and where she's gone off track is mm -hmm. your emotional thematic. So okay. if, if it is about ultimately trusting her partner, mm -hmm. then your movie is about the bucket of trust. Okay. I'm not saying you can't have a movie with trust and connection. You can, mm -hmm. but at some point you also have to pick a pony mm -hmm. so that gotcha. you can go deeper mm -hmm. into that context. Mm -hmm. And so, because if it's about trust, I want to know about what, and this is where the lava starts to come in, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what are you personally interested in, afraid of, blind about trust? Where do you have problems trusting? Because her journey right now does seem more to be about, I don't want to work with anybody else. I'm perfectly good by myself. I don't, mm -hmm. why? Because I have a wound. I don't trust people because they always, always, always betray you, whatever. That's the easiest version, but. To that point, there is a backstory for her as well. She, uh, both of her, she doesn't like Gail at first because basically you sense that she doesn't like Guardians. She doesn't like the Cubs. But you realize that she lost both her. One of the things she says in the movie is that um, Guardians always do things for others but never do anything for themselves. And that's a thing she basically says. And you find out that she lost both of her parents, that they were both Guardians. and. Uh, they went out on a job and didn't come back, and she was like, "But what well, would happen to a guardian that they wouldn't come back?" They uh, they have similar. I mean, they have similar bodies in their world to us, uh -huh. so they can they can die. But um, I, but did, I, were they killed by a bad guy who we're going to see in Act Two? So this is again, okay. I'm just digging okay. around with you. So if you have a backstory that's super important like that, mm -hmm. then Act Two better be about it. Uh, so that's something to be careful of. Okay. I'm not saying you are into it. You have a lot of ideas, mm -hmm. and I'm. I, and again, it's a pitch, so maybe yeah. it's hard. Yeah. But the I just want to warn you, having been where you are, mm -hmm. that because um, in Inside Out we have three worlds going, right? We have uh, Riley, we have the headquarters, and we have down uh, below, yeah, right? Down below, yeah. So the, it, the the trick of that movie is they constantly have to be affecting each other, right? Because if they're not, and they're just paralleling out that scene goes. Like literally anything that happens down here affects headquarters, affects Riley, and Riley now affects and it's rippling back and forth when you have all okay. these different worlds going, right. right? So they thematically all are traveling on the same line. Because if they're thematically even degrees off, you're gonna get confusion and mud, right. not clarity, right? Because everybody, Riley, headquarters, and joy and sadness, and bing bong, are all really digging into the same thematic. Okay. Um, 
So just be careful about that, meaning oh. trust versus connection versus blah, blah, blah. Um, And then world rules, it's hard on a pitch. You know, uh, you gotta be super clear and you will be, I'm sure, on the rules of what are the stakes of guardians. I, I can't visually see it yet either. Okay. Like, um, and like on Inside Out, he's probably, and I wasn't there, you were, might have been there. Like, he, they're drawing immediately. Mm -hmm to try to, um, did he have drawings and paintings immediately to show the mind? Yeah, the art department of? started almost immediately. Ralph Eggleston, who was the production designer, was already doing big concept pieces. Because he's got to explain to the powers that be, this is the world, this is what the mind looks like, it's such a big part of it. Uh, so, And it helps, like when you have the big art, like even just a sketch of what headquarters might look like or what that world looks like with the, the lands, right. right? It felt like, oh, okay. We go from here to here. It helps It'll visually. Help. So if yeah. you were to even give the script, you're probably also going to give some artwork mm -hmm. yeah. so they can immediately see. And you might know that. but um, And then uh, the other thing I wanted to say uh, before I lose you is what was I going to say? Because now I'm thinking about artwork. I have, um, I have one thing, go which ahead. is um, I think there's a lot of things going on, right? All great stuff. And it's about narrowing it down. So like at the beginning of Act One, what is Kendra's belief system? Something Meg talks about, right? Like, is it, I'm responsible for my parents' death and that's why I don't wanna have a partner because I think I'm gonna put you in jeopardy and kill you. So then I'm gonna just, and that's what we, that's the, real the belief person, system. Because who, often when movies are about trust, the person that, who is the person that you, that person doesn't trust exactly. themselves? So it, if you externalize that into, I actually might've killed my parents, mm -hmm. that I understand now suddenly why trust is in the plot of the movie. Yeah, no, that's all. Or is it something else, right? Sort of that belief system is what, even what um, Jeff Melvoin was talking about, you know, the belief system, it's the same thing we are talking about, right? Belief system, it gets threatened and then a new belief system. And then how that she, and sometimes it's easier to think about the story really just from your main character's point of view um, in terms of, I'm gonna introduce you to this thing, it's called a ghost spirit, and it looks like this, and these are the rules, and this is what happened to her, and what nobody knows is this is what happened, and, and, and I'm meeting the human through her, mm -hmm. right? Um, so that it's not too bifurcated. Mm -hmm. um, I guess my last question for you, if I hope any of this has been helpful, is um, sure. uh, why is it personal to you? Um, it's, it's personal to me because I, uh, I was actually talking to some people about this yesterday. I have a problem with, uh, I, 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 I have uh, people, I think, don't always reach their maximum potential. And I think that's because so many people believe that their maximum potential is uh, focusing on something independent as opposed to, you know, I think humanity, a lot of hum humanity believe that if I'm the best I can be, me personally, I can achieve something. And mm -hmm. it's like, technically that's true, but if you're not trying to achieve something for the greater good or with the greater good, I don't think that matters at the end of the day. And how is that personal to you? Personal to me? Mm -hmm. um, I, well, because it's, uh, for me, I think uh, writing for me personally is that greater good. And I, I, I don't, I think that like media is, uh, we don't talk to, each other through uh, books. We don't talk to each other through uh, uh, a lot of certain things. We talk to each other through movies and TV shows. Okay, what's well, so interesting to me, and we don't okay. have to put this in the podcast, is that I want to put you on the spot. You're staying in your intellect, pretty okay. hardcore, right? Which there's means think. there's a lot of lava down there. Yeah. 
because your brain, and it's fair, we're in front of audience, it's a podcast, yeah. I'm not gonna ask you to go beyond your intellect, but your intellect is protecting you right now, and it's very smart and really interesting, so I'm not even commenting on what you're saying, but you're still not telling me how it's personal to you. So there's think, know, and feel, and you're talking about what you think, mm -hmm. and then there's know, I know what kind of shoes I'm wearing, right. I, know, I know what I'm gonna, what I ate for breakfast, then there's feel. Mm -hmm. Then the answer is, I don't know. What it boils down to. No, but, see, like, but well, no, in that's, this moment. I, yes, no, yes. and you don't have to know right no. now. But I'll just tell you that a lot of the work at Pixar is hours and hours and hours of answering that personal question. Gotcha. And, uh, and we all have to bring it every day. You can feel very naked at Pixar every party <laughs> because you're constantly having to bring that to the table every day. Mm -hmm. So, and what I just want to show to you and for your next draft or what you're thinking about mm -hmm. as you get notes or whatever's going to happen mm -hmm. is the rudder is going to be allowing that to come up into the center of the story. The theme is emotional, it's not intellectual. Right. The theme is going to be something that is your lava, is you know makes you feel vulnerable. And then once you start to get that in your hands, right, um, that becomes the rudder for all the other choices of all that other great stuff you have. Right, right. Do you see what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, yeah. Like if you said to me, I'm, I'm making this up, you know, I, um, I had my brother was my very best friend in the whole world and he betrayed me and to get back at him I did this horrible thing and I ruined his life. Uh, and so I want to talk about I want to talk about trust and and my own power that I'm really afraid to unleash because the one time I unleashed it it was in revenge and I look see. what it did and so suddenly I'm understanding oh you I get what you want to talk about okay let's get in and pick some story stuff right <laughs> because now the story is going to be driven by this heat right and I know what to help you pick mm -hmm. otherwise I don't know what to help you pick everything is interesting it's all intellectually cool but I have to pick mm -hmm. based on that heat. So like That's Pete it. Doctor literally he would make us go on walks. Um, and he would go on long, long walks because he intuitively is a genius at staying connected to that, right? Mm -hmm. And he was not going deep enough. He knew when he started he wanted to talk about what happened to his girl, little girl when she was 11 because before she turned 11 she was like, she would meet people at the front door and be like, hello. I'm gonna do a tap dance for you because I'm fabulous and she was very happy and then at 11 she got very into herself and he said I lost my little girl's joy and I want to find out where she went mm -hmm. okay and we're not at a story yet mm -hmm. we're at a situation right but he's got a personal question that he's driving towards what happened your what this emotion can be about can be a question you have based on something that happened in your life. And that question starts to rudder the whole thing. Do you see what I'm saying? He's saying, what happened to my little girl's joy? Mm -hmm. But see, the problem with I that doesn't drive a story yet because it's still outside of him. Like, for the first pitch, be careful because the emotional thematic happened to your brother, not you. Mm -hmm. So it's going to echo out and not have the power of something that you experience. I'm not saying you can't do that. I'm just mm -hmm. saying that's going to be... A, You've got to still put you inside of it. So as he's developing it, he decides, well, you know, when I was in middle school, I was a really scared kid, so it must be with fear. But he would get back Joy, and he knew he wanted Joy to get lost in the mind and then come back. And who is she with? What's the main relationship? It's going to be fear. But he said every time they came back, he didn't have anything to say about fear. He just emotionally didn't have an insight or some experience or something of what he wants to say to the world about fear.
And so he was realizing when I came on, he was just starting to realize, I think it might be sadness. And in the original DVD release, I wish Disney Plus, if you're listening, would put this on <laughs> Disney Plus, because it's so amazing. Um, he takes a camera, and he's walking in the woods up in San Francisco, and he's talking to himself. And he's literally saying, I, okay, I think this movie is going to get shut down. Imagine that, multiple Academy Awards. So just know, your, your, your imposter syndrome, your doubt about your story, that is part of the creative process. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean you're not a writer, it doesn't mean it's not good, it means you're right on track. <laughs> Pete Docter is walking in the woods saying, my movie's gonna get shut down. I don't know what my movie is. People are walking out of the theater and they're saying, it's a good idea. And by now they should be saying, it's a good, it's a movie. And he can't figure it out, he can't figure it out, he's got too many pieces, right? And so he's walking and talking, he's like, and this is what he does, which is amazing, and why he's who he is. He doesn't move away into his intellect when he hits that fear of my movie shutting down, he moves down into it. So you can watch him walk and go, okay, so um, what's gonna happen when I, my, they shut my movie down? Well, I'm gonna first lose my house because I'll get fired, and uh, well, I, that would be bad to lose my house. Wow, I would, that, okay, but it's that, you know, is that really what I'm the most afraid of? And he's like, no, actually, I think the worst part would be I couldn't come to Pixar every day. Okay, if I can't come to Pixar, do you see how he's going deeper and deeper? If I can't come to Pixar every day, why is that bad? Why does that make me feel, well, I'm going to really miss the people. It's not the place, it's the people. Okay, why am I going to miss the people? I'm going to miss the people because of all the fun times we've had. You know, we've had so much fun. Oh no, you're making me sad about leaving Pixar. <laughs> so he's like, but look, he's gonna go down one more because he's not there yet, right? He doesn't feel vulnerable yet. He doesn't feel that lava coming up. He's coming up, you can see it on his face. It's starting to come up. And he goes, okay, I'm gonna miss all the happy people. I'm gonna miss. But you know what I, I, what I'm gonna really miss is all the hard times we've had and the, what, how that has bonded us because they lost, lost Joe Ranft, which was an original founder of Pixar in a car accident, and they lost Steve Jobs and other, many other things, but that, those losses bound, uh, bound them together in a deep way of connection. And that connection of having lost together mm -hmm. and suffered together is what he would miss, that emotional intimacy. And suddenly he went, he goes, oh, it's sadness. <laughs> and you can watch him go down, 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 right? So the, now we have a rudder. Now, I mean, there's all kinds of challenges to what he wants to do, uh, but now I know as a writer, I can absolutely, like, so for the first thing is, well, then sadness has to be on the journey. You don't even have her on the journey. Like, all kinds of stuff. We can start to really roll because we have this emotional rudder about sadness. And the first thing I say to him is, you know that means we have to cry at the end of this movie. Is John Lasseter going to let us? <laughs> we cry because if the, if the thematic is accept sadness, mm -hmm. you're going to have to do it in the movie. And what's really interesting, just as a side point, so often the very thing you're asking the audience, to, the character to do in your script, you are not doing. Because it's not an emotional thing you have yet processed fully, so you're not doing it in the script and you're doing the opposite to your character. It would be like, okay, we're gonna put sadness in the dump and have Joy go find her. Well, are we asking Joy to confront her own sadness? No, we're protecting her from the very theme that we're trying to do. 
It's just, a, it's a really interesting thing that the brain does. That is not what you're doing, because I don't know your story well enough. <laughs> but, um, so that rudder, you don't have to do it right now with us, but it's something, that would be the next thing if I was working with you. I would say, do not pass go, do not go anywhere else until you start digging down. You can look at the end of act two for this. Uh, that's where it should be coming up, that subtext, that lava is coming up into context. Um, you can look at your favorite scenes and why you love them. You can look at the scenes that you cannot get right and why can't you get them right because the lava might be sitting right under there and your brain is like, don't look over there. Just don't even look over there. It might be a flat character often. It's weird. The brain will flatten out a character because it's very afraid of what's underneath there. Um, so I would do some exercises, not to promote Lorian, but she does do these exercises with people uh, to pull their lava up. I would start to do that to get into something that really makes you shake a little bit. Mm -hmm. And then I would then start to build around that. Okay. <laughs> but take it or leave but, it, take it or leave it. <laughs> I wanna say, I love your concept. I love your concept, it's wish fulfillment. Yeah. I wish I had dogs or animals, <laughs> like, uh, you know, guardian angel, like helping me, inspiring me. Like yeah, that feels really very fun. comforting. And I love the idea of a spirit world and they're paying attention that we fuel each other mm -hmm. and that there is that symbiotic relationship, which is what you're talking about in terms of connection, mm -hmm. right? If yeah. one of us falls down, we all fall down, right? Mm -hmm. But I really love the concept. Okay. So Meg just talked a lot about of all the ways you're gonna be like, oh my God, I don't have anything. What do I have and how do I fix this? But I think the concept is really good. And mm -hmm. if I saw this in a trailer, I'd be like, yeah, let's go. Yeah, I would too. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Simon. Hi, it's great to be here. Wonderful to have you. Hi. My story uh, is a, a comedy heist feature film is called Waiting for Robbo. Um, so it's a, an Australian uh, film. Um, and it's about, it, it kicks off with two members of a, a kind of dysfunctional gang who are waiting in their car at a deserted beach for the other two members of the gang to turn up after a, um, a heist where they've inserted themselves between a gang of female bikies uh, and a strange branch of the Finnish Mafia who are operating in regional Australia, as, as they do. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, so the two main characters are Cole and Eric, and they're, they're waiting for, for Robbo and Fatboy. Fatboy is uh, a young, thin girl, actually, who's the, the other two members of the gang. And as they're waiting, they start going over the heist in their mind, replaying what actually happened. And they realise that they have different versions and things didn't go according to plan. And as time got ticks by, they realise that Robbo is not coming. They, they, they decide that Robbo has, you know, tricked them all. Um, and uh, then they find out they've got... Um, Robbo gave them backup plans, uh, like an envelope with uh, open this at three o'clock if everything else goes wrong. They both open their, their, these backup plans which say that they should shoot each other um, and burn the car and, you know. Um, uh, in the meantime, um, they, they, they discover uh, that Fatboy is actually in the dunes with a high-powered rifle taking pot shots at them. Uh, they finally open the boot of the car, uh, which is where the, 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 the jewels are meant to be, the, the, the MacGuffin of the story. 
Um, and, the, and they find in the boot of the car is Robbo, who's been bound and gagged. And uh, um, Is that enough to kick off? Um, well, what, what's act two? So we've got oh, the yeah, okay. set, and, and they, they're, they're the argue- movie, you know, The movie is the Yellow Brick Road, right? Yep. So what's your Yellow Brick Road? So the, the, they are, the, none of them really seem to know what happened to the, to the, um, to, to the, to the, to the jewels. Um, and uh, the, the end of Act 2 is that the, the bikies and the Finnish Mafia turn up to get revenge on the gang because they don't know where the, where the stuff is either. And there's a massive shootout which leaves Robbo dead. Uh, and um, the, the, the gang are happy that um, the, the Robbo's been killed. They find on him uh, what they think are the, are the jewels, which are, but are actually another set of fakes. Um, and um, everybody leaves, leaving uh, the uh, two main characters, Eric and Cole, back where they started. Um, and then they finally work out where the real stuff is, but it's been accidentally buried on the beach. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the ending. Okay, so lots of fun fun stuff yes. there, yes. and I want to see the movie. It's a movie, right? Yes. Okay. Um, I totally want to see this movie. It's reminding me kind of Sexy Beast and. I don't know, tonally, if that's about right, um, uh, which I love that movie. Um, I don't quite yet know what act two is and who the main character is. Or are there two main characters? Are the, is it the two people that are told to shoot each other? Are they the main characters? They're the, they're the main characters. And so, who are they? Okay, so um, Eric is a, an older guy, 50s. Um, he, he's a bit of a plotter. He, um, he just wants... Uh, he, this this is the last heist for him. He's going to leave this gang. He's the last chance. He's finally going to make some decent money and go off and have a cruise. Right. Um, and Cole is much younger. He's the driver uh, of the gang, and he's like the idiot savant. He's the clown. He's he lives in the moment. He fiddles and he can't sit still. And, and do he, they like each other or um, not like each other? They they kind of like a family. They love each other, but they don't like each other. So, but they don't want to shoot each other. They don't. They definitely don't they want definitely, to shoot, so they def- shoot each other. They're kind of making a choice that we're not going to do what these things say. Yeah. And we're not going to shoot each other. But there is a moment where where Carl, because he he believes that he's got to do everything that Robbo tells him, is is going to do this. But he, he, he's happy to be talked out of it. Okay, so so is it a dual uh, protagonist then? They each have their own point of view on the thing? There, there is, but in my head, Eric, the, old, the older guy, is, is going to go on a bigger journey. Right, okay. And so where, what is his end of Act 2? His end of Act 2 is that it's become clear to him that he's not going to get anything out of this heist, that he's been living endlessly for the future to arrive to make him happy, um, he, he, he's always annoyed by Cole, who's living in the present permanently mm-hmm. and making fun out of the world as he, as he lives. Um, and uh, he, he, all his dreams are just collapsed in front of him. Um, he's not going to get anything out of this host. So what's interesting about that, again, I'm not saying you didn't do any of these things. We're just digging around. Um, those are all things that he's realizing that happened to him versus what he created himself. So what is his self-responsibility at the end of Act 2? Is it transformative? Like, I have chosen a life, or why, maybe ask why he has to live in the future, what is so scary to him about living in the present, <coughs> right? So, because again, I'm not saying that's not an interesting idea, 
but I don't feel anything yet when you say it. When, when people say they're endovac twos, I wanna feel it in my body, not just think it in my head. So I like the idea of I've been living in the future because I don't wanna live in the present because, why doesn't he wanna live in the present? Um, what, what's revealed at the end of Act 2 is, because he keeps talking about he was, he's going to go on this cruise with his wife, Joni, and what's revealed is his, his wife actually left him two years ago. Um, she's not there anymore. So and he's living kind of a fantasy. Correct. And why did she leave him? Um, that's a good question. I don't know. But that's the question. Mm -hmm. do, do you see how that might be yeah. the question of the rudder? Because, again, being left is something that happens to you. You hear the reaction, the, 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 so that's, but why does, what does he believe, whether it's right or wrong, by the way, of why she left him? And it could just be this whole movie has been about him avoiding admitting what is the truth of why she left him. Like I think of um, Officer and a Gentleman, where he is pushing him and pushing him and pushing him and pushing him until finally at the end of act two, he starts screaming, I got no place to go. And this, this thing that's been sitting under this amazing character, what an amazing character that character is, because he's such an asshole and he's such a scumbag to start, because he's, that's his survival instinct, until finally this guy breaks him, and as soon as he can say, because I got no place to go, now you can be a gentleman. Now you can be an officer, right? So that break of why she left him, what he believes about himself, which maybe through learning with this experience with this other kid, he's realizing isn't true, or it is true, and he has been creating this whole movie because he won't just love that part of himself or admit that part of himself or that he made a mistake and it's okay. I mean, there's a million reasons of, you know, I got no place to go. Why? Because you, you got nobody in your life. You have created that, yeah. right? So there's, to find that would starts to become for me like the rudder of a, of a rewrite, right? Like once you start digging that up, and something that will make you feel uh, vulnerable, I can start to say, okay, well then in the plot, where does he start to learn the opposite or how does, um, anyway, so go ahead, Lauren. Is there an actor you have in mind to play him? Um, like an actor that really speaks to you, whether he's alive or dead or yeah, old or the, young. Yeah, there is actually, he's my brother. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who is an actor, but imagine, do I, I don't know, do imagine, know, imagine do, Russell Crowe, if, Russell if you Crow. like, so. Okay. Um, Russell Crowe, what era of Russell Crowe are we talking about? <laughs> um, he hasn't done any, much good for a while, like, has he? Like, is it Gladiator but, uh, Russell Crowe? No, or no, is he, it Les Mis Russell Crowe? It, it's more, more contemporary Russell Crowe. Okay. So Eric, yeah, Eric, yeah, Eric is sort of yeah. overweight, 55, yeah, a little okay. gone unhappy, a bit, okay. yeah, gone But he's got this see. physical, like, yeah. past his prime yeah. kind of thing. Sorry, Russell yeah. Crowe, <laughs> if you're listening. Uh, but you know that he's sort of energy. He's not listening. It's okay. <laughs> that sort of energy. Okay. So that helps me sort of understand that there's like this uh, strength and this like the, the other the other thing behind like that he's in a he's got a shield around him. Yeah. yeah. And Russell Crowe's characters and I say this with admiration. They're highly skilled, um, and they are a little bit know-it-alls, a little bit, a little bit. Um, so that there's something to break down. There's something to break down that know-it-allness that, again, I'm not saying you're not doing that in your script, but there's, there is a shield, there's a mask to get mm -hmm. through. And then something that, um, just an exercise you can do when you pick 
The character is, um, you can chart Russell Crowe as an actor. He's probably traveling on the same structure, character transformation, like structure is just character transformation. He is probably just traveling on that. Um, midpoints generally don't line up, I think, but um, you can look at three, five uh, Russell Crowe movies where he is leading, uh, supporting doesn't work as well, and how do we meet him, who is he, what does he believe about himself, what does he believe about the world, what are his skills, flaws, just look at all that in act one, and then where is he, you know, what is the inciting incident, what, where is he as a character at the end of act one, where, uh, what is his new goal and plan uh, at the end of start of act two, what is the midpoint, generally they don't line up, what is his end of act two as a character, because this is all the character points where their giant shifts are happening, and then what does he do in the climax? And you'll start to see a, a pattern emerge. And this is just a writing exercise. Yeah. And then you take that pattern and you stick it on your script and you're like, oh my God, I'm totally not doing that. And it just starts to show you the places that you're kind of skating by or you're not pushing him hard enough. Uh, Angelina Jolie has different uh, patterns when she's um, in a big studio movie or when she's in an indie film. When she's in a big studio movie, she is the most powerful person and she has to learn humility. And when she's in an indie film, she's a humble like person Gia. who's not claiming her power yeah. and she has to claim her power and they're completely reversed. But she's kind of exploring the same thing, yeah. but from opposite sides. Nicole right? Kidman has this throughout her career. You can track her movies like she's the victim, she's saved, and then at now she's like a badass powerhouse right at the beginning. So, but like it's her career shift, in the movie right. shift that you can see happening. It's real. I love her thing. It's Just really an exercise cool. to do to find that yeah. end of Act Two. The most important thing is that end of Act Two emotionally resonates with you. Yeah. But to help you find it, sometimes looking at those characters can help you get into a sandbox at least of yeah. what scene that they seem to be doing over and over. Are there, are there any risks writing with a specific actor in mind? Some, some writers absolutely say don't do it, and some writers say they do. It just is such a personal thing. I like to have an actor, uh, but some people really, really don't. I and don't start with an actor because I feel it's distracting when I'm writing, but then once I've written it, I'm like, oh, who would be great for this? For a pitch, you have to be able to show yep. comps like it's Kristen Milioti, or it, you know, yep. it just tells a different tone. But I think there's danger in uh, only writing for that specific actor yeah. because then another actor will read it and be like, I can't. Yep. It's more, it's more a tool if you mm -hmm. want to like, look, it's like a frame to put on it. So it's just a tool in your mm -hmm. toolbox. I'm not at all saying create from that. I'm saying once you've got your script and you've done a couple of drafts and if you're stuck, this mm -hmm. is a way to maybe see why, where you're stuck. Um, so one thing I want to ask about, and you don't have to answer this, is if you're writing this for your brother to be in, that's the piece that I'm like, why? Why is this about your brother? Why is your brother this character? Like, th those are all the whys I have um, in terms of maybe yep. the, you, lava. the lava isn't. Are that. you the future guy or the present guy in your brother? Oh, team? no, I think, I think the, the, uh, my biggest fear in life is turning into Eric, this character, who doesn't live in the moment, who's, who's, because Cole is, Cole is this childlike character who lives in the moment, who, Never, never thinks about what's going to be the consequences of anything, and we laugh at him. And but he's he's a delight to be with. But Eric is so annoyed by him. But what's so amazing, and what I love about your what you're exploring, is there is a gray zone because there is also a problem to only living in the moment. There is the, those people like my son. They tend to need to be taken care of, right? Uh, because they're fine always, you know, they're, that that isn't black and white, right? And it's just that he's out of balance. 
yeah. right? Uh, uh, and probably he'll still be who he is, right? Um, but I do think there's something emotional underneath why you don't want to live in the present, like that, that and why she left him. That is where, mm -hmm. that's the real thing you're exploring. And I don't know what that is because we have to know why she left him. Um, and be careful because you might say, well, because he's always at work. Okay, why is he always at work? You have to keep asking why until you start to feel that shudder coming up, right? Great. But I love a heist movie and I love, a, like what was the movie with Ryan Reynolds and uh, where it was all like the big reversals at the end, like all the trickery. What was that movie? It had red in the title. You know, it's the movie red. with the thing. Yeah, the movie, with the, the movie with the thing with the guy. Anyway, I love a heist movie. Is it Red Notice? Red Notice, that's the one. Oh my God, I've, I've had half a cup of coffee, okay? Um, you know, where there's, oh, it's gonna be this, this is the answer, and then there's this big twist that sort of changes everything you've seen up till that point, and I yeah. feel like that's what you're doing, Absolutely. right? And I, and that's so fun. And I'm, I'm really looking for, and I love Fat Boy being a thin girl in the dunes with his rifle. Love <laughs> yes, it. Yes. Love it. You're breaking archetypes and combining archetypes, which I love it. Um, you know, I just think of Sexy Beast, which I'm pretty sure is Sexy Beast, right? Where he's in his pool at the beginning, and then yeah. that giant rock, rock comes down, and it's just such a wonderful metaphor for what's coming to this guy. Um, so it just, it's, it's awesome. Yeah. And so yeah. can't wait to see it. Great job. Thank Great. you. Thank you very much. Thank you.